0: Well, Sunday morning is a great day to worship our Lord. It's a great day to reflect on how we can better serve Him and His kingdom. And it is a great day to confess some of the struggles that we have in our own lives. And today, I will confess a struggle that I might have. Not that I might have, I do have. I like interesting people. Some people call them weird, but I guess I'm one of them. And so uh, I, I, like, I like to see reactions out of interesting, strange people. And so sometimes I poke and prod just to see these strange reactions, and, and maybe I probably shouldn't do that. But I genuinely like it. it, it it's, it's, uh, it's interesting to me how different people react to different situations. And there was a time that Mary and I went to Mexico with our church in Garland. And what we did down there is we went to Monterey and we were helping build churches in all sorts of different neighborhoods. And one of the churches that we built in on this particular day, we were, it was a second story and we were pouring concrete on the floor, so it would be the floor for the second story. And it's interesting that you get, a, you get several churches that are working together that come down and volunteer, and they have this assembly line of how you get concrete up to the top. Now, typically, if you got a lot of money, you're just, you just pour concrete with a, with a nice truck, and it pours right to where you need it to go, but we're doing it volunteer-based. We don't have a ton of money that we're working with, so you have to use manpower. And so basically, the assembly line looks like this. You have a guy that's at the concrete truck and he is filling up the wheelbarrow. The wheelbarrow takes it to what I call the scoop pit. And the guys and girls scoop it with a shovel from the wheelbarrow to a bucket. And then they take it from the bucket and they, take, they send it over to the scaffolding. And it goes from one part of the scaffolding to the middle to the top. And so one person's job is just picking a bucket up like this all day long. Gets kind of tiring. Then you have a guy up or a girl up on the top, and they take the bucket and they give it to the skilled laborers where they pour it and do the concrete stuff. And then you have the easiest job where you just go to this side of the building and you drop the bucket to where someone's picking up a bucket, catching the bucket. And as the day goes on, the bucket gets heavier and heavier. So at first it's easy to catch buckets. Then it's uh, uh, you might get bruised up catching buckets. And that person that catches the bucket takes it right back to the scoop pit where they go and do the process over and over and over again. So you get concrete all up on the the second story. Everyone has a job. Every job is important. But I had friends that were doing different jobs, and and I was working in the scoop pit one day. And I had my friend coming with a wheelbarrow, and I look at the other guys and girls in the scoop pit, and I say, wouldn't it be nice to be a wheelbarrow person? All they do is will it over. We're we're doing the manual labor. I was kidding. I was being a little sarcastic. It was my buddy that was coming up here. And there was a guy I didn't know, but he sounded like a WWE wrestler. And he tells me, every job's important. We're all working for the Lord. Which is true. But I found it kind of funny to get a reaction like that out of the guy. So the next time the wheelbarrow comes up, I say, You wheelbarrows, y'all think y'all are better than us in the scoop pit. It's my buddy. He knows I'm kidding. Most of the people know I'm kidding, but this guy doesn't get a little bit of sarcasm. And so he says, this is a job for everybody. Everyone's job is important. He doesn't think you're more important than, or he's more important than you. And I thought it was just kind of interesting to get this reaction out of the guy. And so I say, well, I'm going to go over there and get the more important job over at the wheelbarrow. He says, no job is more important. I go over to the wheelbarrow people. I wasn't really looking to get a new job, but I just was going to talk to my friend. And I came back and I told the guy, I said, hey, this is, none of this is true, so this is my confession. I said, the wheelbarrows didn't want me, but they did promote me to the boss of the, of the scoop pit. So now at least I'm pretty important in the scoop. Pit. And he says, you're no more important. You might be the boss now, but... <laughs> every job is important. And when I talk about that, maybe I shouldn't have pushed this guy's buttons. I know that I shouldn't have. But what he's saying is correct, right? If we're going to build a church down here in Mex- down there in Mexico every job is important and if you don't have the guys on the scaffolding or the girls on the scaffolding you're not going to get the buckets up to the top if you don't have the people making the concrete you're not going to be able to have the nice finished roof if you don't have someone dropping the buckets down we'll never get the buckets down there every job is important and i want us to think about something a little bit deeper and that's the same thing with the church right If we are going to build Christ's church, every job is important. Every job is needed. And if you have some people that aren't doing certain jobs, either the job will not get done or it's going to burn out the others that are working hard trying to establish God's church. And it's not just... A church, we're talking about the the physical facade of a building that we're wanting to build. We are wanting to build God's kingdom locally here in this area that will last a generation. As much as we were wanting to build a nice concrete structure that will last a generation, we want to have the people in place, the workers in place, to build a kingdom, the kingdom of God, here at this local church that will last another generation until the next generation takes it over, and so on, and so on. But to do that, it takes all of us. And so Paul talks a lot about what it means to be part of Christ's church. And what he uses, he he uses the term the body. He uses that, that we are part of the body of Christ. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, he tells us, just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts Form one body, so it is with Christ. For we have all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentile, slave or free, we were all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. So this is what Paul wants us to understand. To be part of Christ's body means that we are all active in different parts. There's no part of the body that doesn't have a role. There's not one more important part than others. We all have different roles that we do play within the body of Christ. And one of the interesting things that God does is He uses His body his people, his church to do his will. He uses the body of Christ to do his will, which is to go out, to reach others, to teach others. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. And then he entrusts us to go out and make disciples to build his kingdom. And in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 27, it says, now you are the body of Christ and each of you has a part in it. So what does it look like to be the body of Christ? Well, one of the things that Paul does is he shows us how we can actively be part of building up the body. And he shows us that it's not just one of us that, that does the job, but it's, it's all of us that play a particular role. And one of the ways we see how he builds the body is he goes to his uh, one, of, one, of, one of the young men, this is what, what, what uh, Paul calls him, he, he says, a son in the faith. He goes to a man named Titus, young man, who's on the island of Crete. And he tries to teach Titus how he is to establish a church on the island of Crete. And one of the things about Crete is it is a uh, place that struggles a little bit. Struggles with with false truths, struggles with false teachers, and so in Titus chapter 1, verse 12, Paul quotes one of Crete's own prophets. And he says, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This saying is true, therefore rebuke them shar- sharply so that they will be sound in their faith. They claim to know God by their actions, they deny him. They were detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Crete was controlled by people that followed their emotions more than they followed sound doctrine. They followed their emotions more than they followed truth. And so when something new came in, they would start listening to that and they'd believe whatever that was instead of going to what God is saying and believing what God is saying and and following what what God has told His people over and over again. And so the first person that that Paul talks to is Titus and he says, if you're going to be the preacher in this church in Crete... You're gonna to have to teach sound doctrine. And what that what the, what he says here in Titus chapter 2, verse 1, he says, you must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine, or you can also define sound doctrine as healthy teaching, godly teaching. He's saying the preacher needs to preach what is in Scripture, and that's one of the things that we try to do in our congregation, is we try to preach what the Bible tells us. We aren't trying to be uh, moved by what culture is saying, or by what our emotions think, but we go by the time, the timeless teachings of Christ. And then what Paul does is he starts giving directions to what all the people in the church, whatever their demographic might be, whatever their age might be, he gives each of them certain jobs. And so for the first person that he talks to, he talks to the older men. And he says in in verse 2, teach the older men to be temperate. Or another uh, definition of that, another way to say that is sober-minded. Worthy of respect, self-control, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. What is he telling the older men? They need to be temperate, sober-minded. What does that mean? They need to have their emotions in check. They need to to have a clear head because when they don't have a clear head, when they allow their emotions to take over, they do things that get them in trouble and they do things that cause them to lose the respect of the people. This past week, I was watching the news of a football game up in the Boston area, the New England Patriots. We're playing the Miami Dolphins. And in the middle of the game, there was an argument that broke out between two men. One was a Dolphins fan. One was a New England Patriots fan. And they got in this fight over whose team was better or something something silly. And the guy in the Dolphins jersey punches the guy in the New England jersey twice. And that guy falls back And he ends up dying. What happened here? This is a man that shows up to a game where he thought he was just going to have a good day. And he ends up becoming a murderer. Why? He wasn't sober in his thoughts. He wasn't temperate. And people look at him and think, my goodness, this is a game. We're cheering for different jerseys, basically, right? That's ridiculous. When we don't let our emotions, when we let our emotions get out of whack, horrible things happen. And the older men are called to be worthy of respect. And what is, how do they do that? They, they live a life, how Christ taught us, in love and endurance. What does endurance mean? That we love on the good days and the bad days. We, we are kind to our families. We're kind to our neighbors. We're kind to our children and our wives. And how else do we do that? It's by being sound in faith. And following the examples that Christ teaches us. And then he moves on from the older men and he starts talking to the older women. And with the older women, he says, likewise in verse 3 teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers, not to be addicted to wine but to teach what is good. And so the older women have this role as as, uh, being the example to everyone out there. Not to be slanderous. What what does that mean? He, he, He wants to make sure that we're not out there complainers or gossipers. If you go look at the Facebook page, Heads Up Kilgore. What is most of the things out there? It's talking about complaints about Popeyes or whatever they're complaining about. Complaints, gossip, that's not for the church. And he tells them not to be addicted to, to, to wine. It's not saying they, they're not allowed to have wine. but what, he, what, he, what he's saying is... Just like he said to the men, be of sober mind. We don't need to be addicted to anything that takes away our judgment, that takes away how we're living our life. One of the biggest issues, and I know I struggle with it, probably you do too, is this little thing that we're addicted to, right? When we have family all around us and all of us are sitting there just staring at A device instead of engaging with our family this is something we've got to work on there's all sorts of addictions that that we struggle with and what God is telling us is to set the example be of sober mind be present in each other's lives And he tells the women to do this because now you can set an example for the younger women. It says, then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, to be pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. It's this example that we're called to set to the next generation. What are the things that, 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 that the older women can teach the younger women? It's how to be productive, right? Whether it's productive at home or productive at, in the workplace, it's saying we need to be productive for our families. And we need to be self controlled. Like the others, we don't need to have our emotions take over. And what's the most important thing he taught them is how to love. That these children know that their mother loves them, that their husband knows that their wife loves them, and and, and it's not that the the husbands don't need to show that same love. That's what he told the older men. Love, endurance. When we love each other, you're going to be respected. When we love each other, it's going to be easier. And so it's easiest for the older women to teach the younger women this those that have gone through it, those that have learned a few things along the way. And then what does he say to the younger men? He kind of leaves it simple, but it means a lot. He says in, in Titus 2, verse 6, similarly, encourage the younger men to be self-controlled. Another version might say, to live wisely. Why does he say this? Because young men make bad choices. Young men struggle with temptation. Temptation of all sorts of all, all sorts. Not that we all I mean, he told all of them that they need to be have more self-control, but this is one of the things, see, needs to be wise in their choices in life so they can grow to be older men, older people that are, that are leaders in Christ's church. The older men are teaching the younger men and the older women are teaching the younger women and I start thinking about that and I wonder, well, What makes you an older man or a younger man or an older woman or a younger woman? If you have gray hair, does that make you the older man? I don't know, maybe. When I look at something like this, I believe there's always someone that we can be teaching. There's always someone that's younger than us in age or younger than us in the faith that we can teach. And there's always someone that's older than us that we can learn from. And each of us play this role in Christ's church of teaching and learning. And it's not just the minister that's that's called to do this. What Paul is teaching uh, Titus is that all of us play a role in the church. We all need this together. And one of the things that we do is we have fellowships. And what are we supposed to be doing in this fellowship? We're supposed to be connecting with other generations, right? What do we do on Wednesday? We, we meet together for a meal and for 30 minutes, this is a great time to make these connections with one another. So that we can teach and so that we can learn. And hopefully it will go further than that. That you'll form relationships and you'll be able to have these great teachers in your life and examples in your life. And then I want us to pay special attention to who else we should be teaching. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verse 21 it says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. There's a lot of roles in this church. And then some of the uh, all of us are called to to teach, and all of us are called to play a part in God's church, to be part of His body. But then we have these little ones that sometimes we feel well, they're just taken, 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 right. What roles do they serve? What what service are they giving? How much are they giving in their finances a week? They don't have any money. How, how could, what can they do? I believe these are some of the special honored people that Paul is talking about in Corinthians. Our children are indispensable. Our children should be held in special honor. Our children should know that they are loved and cared for and we need to be spending special time teaching and showing these kids that they're loved showing that they're honored showing that we we know that they are going to grow and if we do our job they'll take part of the Lord's kingdom in bigger and bigger ways and that's why we're having this fellowship meal today of making sure we have teachers. Why? Because they're special. And our children are indispensable. This is the part of God's body, of Christ's body, that we need to make sure that they know they're loved and cared for. Our God loves each and every one of us. And our God wants us to build his church locally so that his church globally will grow in leaps and bounds and others will know the love of God. It takes all of us. But the first thing we've got to decide is if we want to be part of his body. And to be part of his body, we need to be baptized into him. We need to be raised with him. We need to commit our lives to him so that we can be part of his body. If you want to be baptized today, you can do that. Or if we need to pray for you, if there's anything we can do to help you out, or if, we, if you want to talk to us about how we, you can be plugged in to be part of his body, an active part, we can help you out as well. If there's anything we can do for you today, please come while we stand and sing.